How's it going, guys? This is Dan Fagella with Sentient Potential and Emerging Tech. I'm here with uh, Mr. Tim Stevens, who's the editor-in-chief at Engadget, which is one of the top technology blogs in the world. Um, Tim is also lucky enough to be one of the first, folks, the first folks to be able to rock the Google Glass. Tim, how's it going today, brother? It's going good, Dan. How are you? Doing very well. Doing very well. So, um, yeah, Tim, I, I, uh, I think a lot of people have probably seen or you know, I'd even seen you on your podcast there kind of wearing the, the Google Glass and you were lucky enough to be one of the first people to sort of have that experience. And I think a lot of people are curious as to uh, will this ever catch on. In my mind, it's, it sort of seems inevitable that to some extent or another it will. But I'm curious, first and foremost, before we even delve into kind of the future of this stuff and its, its possibilities for kind of augmentation, I was curious as to kind of how your experience has gone or is going with Google Glass. It's definitely been, uh, you know, highs and lows. I've been wearing Glass for... Man, I think almost three months at this point. So, you know, I, I've been lucky enough to, to be one of the, the folks who, who got it pretty early on. And, and so I probably have been wearing it as long as just about anybody outside of Google anyway, for sure. Yeah. Um, so it's it's definitely been, you know, it's been pretty exciting. Of course, that first couple of days with glass is, is a very eye-opening experience that you can't really no, stop smiling. No pun words. intended. No pun intended, right? <laughs> Absolutely not. I never intend puns. They're always unintended. Um <laughs> It's, it's very exciting because, you know, you've got this device and it's it's beeping at you and giving you information and kind of throwing emails at you. And, you know, uh, navigation is right there hovering in space in front of you. So you always know where you need to go. And finding a restaurant is suddenly marvelously easy. <laughs> and it just seems like this, this kind of amazing thing that, that you can't, you know, can't imagine living without. Uh, but, but I'll be perfectly honest that after about a week or so, you start to realize that ultimately there's a pretty big commitment to putting this thing on your face and wearing it on your face all day long. Um, so it wasn't very long before I stopped wearing it when I was at home, like, you know, sitting in front of my computer. I very quickly realized that there really wasn't any point to be wearing glass when you're sitting in front of a couple of displays or even just one display. Uh, and then I, I, I actually started having issues wearing it around because, you know, if I'm going to the office in New York City or going from there to the train, uh, people would just stop me constantly and asking, you know, is that glass? Uh, can I try it? I've never seen one before. Uh, and people were very excited to, to see it and to try it out. And I was, you know, usually very happy to, to let them try it out. But ultimately, you know, if you're trying to catch a train or if you're late for a meeting uh, and somebody yeah. stops you to, to try out glass, uh, I, I hate to be rude. So I just stopped wearing it in public largely because I didn't want to be rude to people all the time. But ultimately, you know, I kind of had to kind of had to get places. So it. It is, at this point, a little bit difficult to wear in public, and I don't think it's quite usable enough to be wearing all the time in private. Uh, but I am still very, very excited about the, the potential of the device. And I still do put it on when I'm traveling somewhere new or, or when I'm traveling somewhere that I think I'm going to need directions or that I'm going to need help finding my way around or whatever possible. Um, so it's been, you know, it's been highs and lows. Ultimately, I haven't had any truly negative experiences yet. You know, people are very concerned about privacy, and I think rightfully so, which is probably something we should discuss. But I haven't had anybody walk up to me and say, hey, are you recording me? You know, turn that thing off or stop. Are you recording me? Are you going to shoot me with a laser? Yeah, exactly. I, I've been asked, you know, people ask me, hey, are you recording this conversation in a joking way? But I've, I've never had anybody, you know, be angry at me or be accusatory in any way about my wearing glass, which which honestly is a bit surprising. I had expected that somebody would be, would be negative. You know, I, I wore it through airport security. I've worn it in Europe, I've worn it in the U.S., in New York, in California. Uh, I've worn glass in a lot of different places, but the reaction has always been overwhelmingly positive. Wow, that's cool. Well, I think there's kind of that novelty factor, and you know, I think it, maybe it wouldn't be as positive if, if there wasn't a decent amount of hype and at least people kind of got it. You know, if, if, there, was, if there was never any sort of 
Um, if there was never anything close to that and there hadn't been any noise about it, maybe you would look like the random cyborg guy. But I think a lot of people kind of get like, oh, yeah, you know what? They were going to come out with that stuff. He must be one of those guys that's got it. Um, and I continue to be surprised at just how broad that, that hype has, has spread. I mean, I live out in the country in upstate New York, far away from the city. And I was actually driving to give a presentation at the New York State Library, which is even further out in the middle of nowhere. And I was driving down there, and I stopped to get gas, and I was wearing glass because I was actually going to talk about glass as part of the presentation I was giving. And I went in to pay because this gas station didn't actually have pay at the pump. Uh, so I went in in this gas station middle of nowhere, and the, the cashier there they said, hey, is that Google Glass that you're wearing? Which kind of blew me away. You know, we're in the middle of nowhere. This is a guy who <laughs> probably may or may not even have a smartphone. But he was very well aware about Google Glass and wanted to know what it was like and the sort of things it could do. Wow. And that's, to me, pretty amazing for a product that Google hasn't really marketed at all. You know, they've launched that cool YouTube video a while back. Yep. But there hasn't been, you know, any glass commercials or anything like that. But yet the, the awareness of it in, in the mass market is, is pretty amazing. Yeah, Google uh, Google's permeated pretty well at this point, what with, uh, yeah, you know, what with owning the Internet and all. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but either way, yeah, um, and I know... There, you you'd mentioned kind of the GPS factor, which to me always seemed like such a cool thing because, man, a natural sense of direction is absolutely the last thing I was born with. Um, but uh, but in terms of just general kind of utility, um, you know, you'd mentioned there's, there's some highs, some lows. It seems relatively clear that at least in some regards, Google Glass would be really helpful when maybe you had your hands full or it could display certain things for you. What do you see at this point from a real from kind of a utility standpoint? Um, as being the major advantages of glass thus far for yourself? I think for me, in terms of day-to-day practicality, the nicest thing is getting notifications whenever emails come through. Uh, I get a lot of emails, and so that means that glass is chirping at me quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, but uh, you know, that also means that my phone is chirping at me a lot, and the LED on the front is blinking all the time saying, you've got a new email. Um, so, and so I'm always left wondering, should I look at my phone now? Is this an important email? Is it something I can ignore? Uh, and with glass, at least, I get a quick heads up saying, you know, who this email is from and the subject of the email and the first couple uh, words from the email. It's enough for me to decide, do I need to read this email to myself or is it something that I can safely ignore? Mm-hmm. Um, so for that, that's that's pretty powerful for me. And Google just also introduced the functionality of being able to have that read to you very quickly by voice, which is something that was sadly lacking back in the, the early days when Glass first shipped. So now you can speak to Glass and say, okay, Glass, uh, read this email to me, basically, and it will read that email to you. So you could, in, in theory, be you know in your car and have an email read to you while keeping your eyes on the road and not being distracted, uh, which I think is a powerful thing if used uh, with in, in, you know the, the correct precautions and if you're yeah. making sure to pay, pay attention to driving and all that good stuff, of course. Uh, so the ability to stay very quickly connected uh, and always know what's going on without having to fish my phone out of the pocket all the time uh, is, to me, uh, I think an important thing. Cool. So no fishing the phone. Yeah, so that's the, kind of from an email standpoint. You'd mentioned also sort of the the GPS side of stuff um, as well. I, I'm not sure how that displays. I know how it looks on my GPS where you have a little map, and when you move in a certain direction, right. it follows you along. I mean, what is it like there through glass? It's actually not that much different from the display that you see on your phone. Uh, the colors are reversed more or less to make it easier to, to see through the device uh, so that you you know have more of a transparent effect. Yep. But it, it's not like an augmented reality display where there are these things hovering in space that you need to walk to or to drive to. Ultimately, it's basically an arrow that, that shows you the next turn, um, but it's not 
you know, moving or looking to hover over the highway or anything like that. So it's still a very traditional GPS-style display saying the next turn is three miles ahead, uh, you know, make a right, that kind of thing. Um, but kind of the nice thing is it actually turns the display off as you're on the highway so it won't be distracting. People ask me all the time, you know, is that too distracting to be wearing while driving? And, in fact, we've seen some early attempts at legislation to uh, block the use of glass where distracted driving legislation that already exists is, is being expanded to include wearable displays, uh, which, which is a bit unfortunate in some ways, but also probably not a bad thing in others. Uh, but at this point, it's basically just a, a real simple arrow showing you what your next turn is, uh, and I think it's it's less distracting than, than having a phone on your dashboard or, or even using an in-car GPS system, because you don't have to take your eyes off the road, you don't have to look down, uh, it's always right there, uh, just kind of hovering space up, up in front of you. That's cool. Um, yeah, I, I can also see kind of the pros and cons with that kind of legislature, you know, that with the what with the kids in their texting uh, as is. Uh, never mind, I imagine, what you could pull up in, uh, in glass if you wanted to, although it does seem like it would be pretty useful there, too. Um, now, I, I had read, as I had talked to you a little bit kind of off mic here, about your um, interview or your chat there with uh, Thad Starner, um, with regards to augmenting our realities and memory, um, maybe through glass or technologies like that. Um, how do you see that kind of augmenting of reality effect really kind of panning out? Have you ever seen, I should have asked you this beforehand too, have you ever seen that short Vimeo um, video called Sight? No, I haven't. Really interesting. It's, it's kind of a, kind of a pr- provocative piece about the potential cons of, uh, of you know, augmenting reality. It's kind of a world where that people really don't, you know, even own that many things or there's no decorations on their walls and all this stuff is really just kind of embedded behind their, their retinas and it displays outward for them. So the world is kind of augmented and, and there, there's not as much need for actual physical stuff. Really cool. It's like a three-minute video, but it's, it's uh, pretty provocative stuff. But regardless, um, <laughs> well, how, do you, how do you kind of see that, that augmentation coming to life with glass? Do you think there's a long way to go there or where do you see some real sort of expansions of, of the human experience a bit? It's definitely a very interesting uh, and exciting, the potential. I mean, I'm a fan of anime like Ghost in the Shell and, and of course, The Matrix and things like that, which, which envisions this, you know, virtual world, effectively, that you can kind of go into, uh, or at the very least, fully registered augmented reality, where you'll see things hovering in space, where you'll see, you know, people being represented by avatars who aren't actually there. Uh, and all this exciting science fiction stuff that, that I'm pretty stoked to see come to reality. Um, but speaking with Thad Starner, who's been one of the preeminent experts when it comes to wearable technology and who's been wearing augmented reality stuff since, you know, since the 90s, basically. Um, he's got a very different take on this in that he thinks that really we don't want or, or certainly don't need anyway what he calls fully registered augmented reality, which is a display that sits over your eyes that knows where you are and where you're looking so it can draw virtual things in space in front of you, basically. And he draws that line between fully registered augmented reality and just any old augmented reality, which would mean, you know, finding a restaurant that's nearby, or uh, getting navigation, that kind of thing. Uh, so Thad thinks that ultimately the future of this stuff is really just simple, easy-to-access information. So whether it be augmenting your memory and making suggestions based on things you've said in the past and kind of listening to what you say and remembering that for you, uh, and just, uh, again, getting directions or restaurant recommendations, that kind of thing. He thinks that is what the future of augmented reality is, and that's ultimately all that we should want or all that we need anyway. Mm. Whereas I'm definitely much more excited about the idea of a full field of view display that kind of covers your eyes entirely or, you know, in three someday maybe it's a pair of contact lenses or somehow it's being projected into your eye. Um, 
And so that if I sit down at my desk, I don't even need to have monitors here because ultimately I can have as many monitors as I want to, and they're all virtual. Um, yeah, or I can yeah. look at the wall and have you know the biggest display in the world uh, because it's just a virtual thing that's sitting there, yep. only in my imagination being projected on my eyes. So that to me is very exciting, uh, but that definitely has the, the, the different opinion. Yeah, that's, that's interesting there that uh, someone who's been that involved, you'd figure he'd almost be farther down that road than you. You would think so, yeah, but it's almost as if he's been down that road and decided, you know, it's actually not that cool. So <laughs> it's actually not tech. that cool. Um, yeah, so, so I don't know how, how much of it is limitations of technology and him kind of getting frustrated with the inability of technology to deliver a compelling experience like that, which I can definitely understand. I mean, if you look at virtual reality back in the, the mid-'90s, that was a, a big thing that everyone was researching, but ultimately the technology at the time wasn't really good enough to deliver it. Yeah. And so people kind of wrote it off and forgot about it. It's just kind of a, a flash in the pan thing. Uh, but then, you know, Palmer Lucky came along and, and made the Oculus Rift. Uh, and now all of a sudden we've got VR again and it's fantastic and everybody's excited about it. Uh, so maybe in a couple of years, you know, we'll have the technology to do proper, fully registered augmented reality right and it'll get everybody excited again. Uh, but for now, anyway, Thad thinks that the glass and devices like glass that are, that are really just secondary displays that you can look at quickly and ignore uh, is the way to go. Huh, yeah, just kind of a personal efficiency thing. See, I, I see it as, and, and again, I, I'm remarkably surprised at sort of where his leanings are there, but I think it's it almost seems inevitable that we'll go down the road where that you had mentioned there, where essentially you can have as many displays as you're looking for and you're, you're kind of projecting things um, outward through your own imagination but still able to function with it. Uh, and that's, you definitely got to check out that site uh, little video. I'll pop you an email with that because that's exactly, exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, yeah, really interesting stuff. But uh, regardless, so um, do, you see, do you see glass as, I mean, glass right now is kind of an efficiency thing. And I think in a lot of respects, there is kind of that, um, that efficiency side of stuff. So we want to be able to have our hands free to do other things. You know, computers have gotten smaller, multiple monitors. Technology in many respects is too allow us to spend less time doing menial stuff and allow us to do more time doing creative stuff or discerning stuff or strategic stuff, so long as we're not too distracted by it. And you had even brought up the example of not having to fish your phone out of your pocket because at the very end of the day, uh, even that is relatively menial, right? I mean, you're not getting better at any important skills when your hand goes into your pocket and then comes back out of it. Um, you're not making any particularly important decisions while that's happening. It's really when you're interacting with the information. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it, it's kind of sad to see if you look at a, a line sitting outside of a theater or a concert, you know, half the people are kind of punched over their phones with horrible posture. And it's just not a natural pose to be in. It's really not a comfortable pose and it's certainly not good for your back either. <laughs> uh, so to be able to get that information on class and to be able to have a conversation with somebody and kind of maintain that conversation without having to be the one who reaches for their phone and, and you know, starts that wave of, of people looking at their smartphones in the if you start crowd. that like a, like a baseball game wave you're the first guy and everybody yeah, else just it's opens like, oh thank it. goodness somebody looked at their phone now I can look at my <laughs> phone and check if somebody uh, tweeted at me or something like that uh-huh. um, yeah it's, and that right now is is what I think Glass is best at but right now functionality is so very limited with Glass because it is early days um, developers have really only just gotten access to the API for the most part within the past couple of months. Uh, and the API that's available to them right now, the Mirror API, is incredibly limited in terms of what you can do. Um, there is a better API, the Glass Developer Kit, that Google is going to release sometime. They haven't said when. That will give you full access to all the Glass hardware. You can do really impressive things, I think, at that point. But for, for right now, really, Glass 
it's very limited by that API and very limited by the time that developers have had. So, so right now, there's just not a lot that you can do with class. And again, it, it's hard for me to make the commitment to wear that on my face every day because the functionality is so limited. Um, yeah. But again, I'm still very optimistic about the potential of glass, uh, even though it's not going to do that full, fully registered, full frame augmented reality thing that I want. Uh, I still think that there's a lot of potential for this to, to be really helpful on a day-to-day basis once developers really kind of get their heads around the thing. Big time, yeah. And I think once the API cracks up, well, there's got to be you know thousands and thousands of people just chomping at the bit to start building things out there, um, which yeah, I, I so. will obviously, like in any other respect uh, or any other given technology, um, you know, expand some possibilities and bring some great stuff forward or interesting things forward, if nothing else. Um, and I want to get back into that idea of augmented reality in a bit, but I know you had also touched on privacy, and I figure it's worth talking about, particularly with Glass. I know some people were, you know, a little bit more up in arms issue about it than others. You had mentioned that, you know, through your experiences thus far, nobody's been, you know, asking if you're recording them or, or whatever else. No one's been, uh, you know, felt as though you've been transgressing their personal boundaries by wearing Google Glass. Um, what do you see are kind of the biggest concerns with privacy, with Glass, maybe now and in the future? Um, and what ones do you maybe take more seriously than others? Uh, the biggest concern to me is that Glass makes it very easy to take pictures and record video without anybody else knowing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and while it's not something that you couldn't do right now with your phone, uh, ultimately, if you want to take a picture with your phone without someone knowing it, you kind of have to be sneaky about it. You know, you have to hide your phone or you put it under your jacket or something like that. With glass, you know, you just reach up and you press the button on the front, or if you're in a loud environment, you can just say, okay, glass, take a picture, uh, and nobody's going to notice that except for the headset itself. Um, that doesn't bother me. I don't really care if people take my picture in public. I guess I'm, I'm used to it at this point, and I think that a lot of people are. Uh, but ultimately, there are a lot of people out there who aren't used to it and who don't want people taking their picture, even if they, they aren't in a, in a public place. Yeah. And while it's always been easy to take pictures with spy cameras and with you know, tiny little cameras and things like that, and they've been out there in the market for a long time. They're certainly not something that has been sold to thousands or millions of people. Uh, and Google, of course, wants this to be a huge product that's going to be worn by millions of people. Uh, and so at that point, when these are not the kind of thing that people are going to stop you when you're wearing them because they want to ask what that is, but when you can go on the subway and expect to see two or three other people wearing class, uh, at that point, it's going to be a big concern because there, there's a lot of people, again, who just who don't want their picture taken in public. And I I think, unfortunately, Google is not really doing enough to address the concerns of those people because they need to, they need to get there now. We've seen legislation uh, or, or, you know, interest from legislators uh, across the country and even across the world, people asking Google, what can you do? Uh, What are the abilities of this device? What are you doing to ensure people's privacy? And that they're showing concern and not, you know, writing heavy-handed laws already is good, uh, but ultimately if Google doesn't have a good response for them soon, Mm. uh, you know, the laws are going to be quick to follow. Wow, interesting. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, I'm I'm sort of of a a similar opinion where, you know, I I don't necessarily take it as an offense if I have a photo taken or something like that, but you can imagine situations where, you know, uh, people are, you can imagine a million reasons why people wouldn't want their photo taken. You know, maybe it's embarrassing situations or maybe yeah. they're, you know, they're, someone's recording an, an argument between, you know, uh, a husband and wife on a subway and thinks it's funny to throw it up on YouTube or something like that. And, you know, you wouldn't have been able to pull that off by holding your iPhone up to it. 
you know, and laughing along. Um, yeah, and, and, and I said this a million times, uh, and I probably sound like a broken record, but I really think that all Google needs to do is put a red LED on the front. If it blinks when a recording, that's all that you need. Obviously, some of them come away with a way to hack it uh, and get rid of that LED, but that's something that's been pretty much programmed into the minds of everybody. If you see something looking at you with a blinking red light, it's probably recording video of you, hmm. uh, and that would at least give people something of an indicator to know that they are being recorded. Uh, I think it would be a real simple modification, and I hope Google does something like this, because uh, without that, I think they could be in trouble. Yeah, yeah, it sounds like they, they'd have a tough time kind of pushing forward. I can see how there'd be a million different ways to push back on that. Um, and and with, with regards to maybe taking things a little bit further before we delve at last into maybe other technologies in the future here, you had mentioned really having a desire towards that, that more fully immersive uh, augmented reality experience and, uh, you know, where, as you had said, you could just project your monitor onto your wall or... You know, pull up any given data that you're looking for at any time and sort of interact with it in, in whatever way, shape, or form. Um, with with the the potential of that moving forward, you had mentioned um, people hunched over on their way to the theater, you know, looking at their phone. Um, I, I think in some respects, people are are there. There is a concern with, and it doesn't seem like phones have destroyed people's real social lives either per se. But I can kind of see a little bit of that argument with with a more immersive VR. It seems like now we're we're actually starting to kind of cross that threshold of, of uh, you know, our normal, our normal experience to an entirely new level. We're legitimately projecting things out into the world um, and, and interacting with them that way. It seems like there's a lot of possibility there, potentially also um, some danger there. I'm definitely not a technophobe, but I think it's always curious to, to look at both sides. Um, how, how, do you see, how do you see that kind of rolling, rolling forward, I suppose? Would you see that as a, uh, you know, potentially having a number of uh, like detrimental effects with regards to people just interacting with their virtual realities? Um, do you see it as freeing in some regards? Curious as to kind of your vision for, for what you're, you know, you, you express real enthusiasm there. Well, I would like to think that real reality will always trump virtual reality. Uh, so regardless of how great this augmented reality or indeed fully virtual reality gets, that ultimately going outside will always be that I mean, obviously, if you're playing uh, a racing game and you're driving a Formula One car or, you know, if you're playing some crazy video game in virtual reality, then, you know, probably that's going to be a little bit more exciting than your day-to-day -day life. <laughs> uh, but, uh, I mean, if you can imagine a future in which our, our realities are very fully um, fully augmented or indeed fully virtual in a lot of ways, you can imagine never having to commute to work. Uh, you can imagine sitting in your home office and having a coworker walk into your office and have a face-to-face -face conversation with that coworker even though they're across the country or even across the world. Um, at, at that point, you know, suddenly traffic ceases to be an issue. Um, suddenly congestion ceases to be an issue. And suddenly we can now leave our homes when we want to rather than when we're forced to. Um, but, of course, then that be could become a problem because, you know, people could certainly become much more sedentary and much more homebound. Uh, you know, I would like to think that, that the, the freedom that that would give, the, the amount of time that that would save, uh, would then be turned around into the ability for someone to go outside and do the things that they want to do rather than go outside and get in their car and get on the highway. Um, of course, for some people it will, but for some people it won't. There will certainly be, you know, if indeed this future comes to pass, there will certainly be stories of people who don't leave their house for days or weeks or years uh, and who, you know, don't have any actual personal uh, contact with anybody outside of through virtual means. And that'll be sad, um, but ultimately I would like to think that, that the potential certainly far outweighs the uh, the risk of, of a situation like that. Big time. And, and I think, you know, well, uh, with regards to the uh, efficiency side of things, um, not having to commute to work, being able to kind of interact. You mentioned avatars. I actually just got back from the, the 2045 conference in, um, 
in New York City a couple weeks back where they'd spoken a lot to that kind of concept of the avatar. Um, it, it seems as though, almost like maybe cell phones or computers or any, any technological innovation that we move forward, um, it, it does have the ability to free up a decent amount of time, but it might also, from a, a work standpoint, really kind of up the ante on what you got to do if you want to have a halfway decent job. If the rest of the world is able to, if, if it becomes expected in certain industries where you are checking email all the time um, and, and you, you are able to work no matter where you are in certain respects, and if, if that kind of becomes a norm and a threshold, um, it isn't necessarily bad. I think there's a lot of people who are passionate about their work, myself included, clearly yourself included. Um, but it seems like it, it may may or may not maybe lean in the direction of leisure. Do you see it as, as probably going more in the leisure direction than pulling us further into uh, work, commerce, etc.? It'll certainly start that way. Most things do. I mean, um, the drive for faster and faster computers and better displays and, and, and you know, better televisions and everything else has always been based on leisure. Um, so gaming is what drove PCs to get faster. Faster PCs may, meant that we can do better things with those PCs. Uh, ultimately, gaming is what's driving uh, smartphones, I think, to be faster and faster, too. And to have more storage, we need more storage on our phones because we need to listen to music. But more storage means that we can you know, download more information uh, and do cooler things on our phones, too, and have more, uh, more space for productivity applications and things like that. So I do think that leisure activities will be what helps to drive this forward. Uh, but ultimately, I do think that that productivity increases, and and uh, the, you know the increase in communication that will come along with all these advancements will, will again more than uh, more than make up for any concerns that we have in terms of people you know being idle and playing games more than they did before. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that that having competition on a global scale will ultimately be. Good for a lot of people. It'll certainly be bad for a lot of people too. People who are just kind of scraping by and and you know, who have a job that that ultimately nobody else can do. Uh, if you know suddenly the job market is worldwide, uh, that will certainly make people stand their toes. Which, like you said, I think is not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah. Um, but ultimately, that will probably be too much question when it comes to immigration and all sorts of other fun things, which uh, could probably be a podcast for three in and of itself. Yes, yes, it certainly could. Um, and and actually, that's a pretty interesting. Uh, Thing that you or uh, kind of almost paradigm or transition that you brought up there that uh, gaming kind of drove the advancement of PCs in many respects, which allowed us to do other things, and similarly with phones, which allowed us to do other things, and uh, potentially now with glass and more augmented reality, and that maybe it'll it'll begin in that light, but then it will, you know, pull back to um, real functionality and us being able to do other things. It's, it, I had actually never thought about it like that as gaming being a driving force. Have you seen that as a theme just over decades? Certainly in the PC industry, it, it has been. Uh, nobody needed dual-core chips 10 years ago. Nobody needs quad-core chips right now to run Windows 8 or to run Word or, or you know, all these graphics, uh, all the power of, of the modern PC is there to run things uh, like Civilization and StarCraft and Doom, and you know, you yeah. can trace things all the way back. CD-ROMs weren't needed to, to store more information. CD-ROMs were needed because you had 14 or 18 floppy disks that you needed to go through. Uh, so it's really gaming that that's driven the, the PC industry to get faster. And it's, it's gaming and ultimately the consumption of, of multimedia that I think is, is driving um, smartphones to get better, displays to get bigger. Uh, these are not driven by productivity needs. Uh, they're driven by by entertainment, whether it be gaming or yeah. music or movies or, or whatever else, uh, yeah. and that's that's kind of how it's been in the consumer electronics space in a way for for yeah for a long time for decades. 
Um, I had two other short questions for us here, Tim. The first of which was just going to be some of your thoughts on uh, some future technologies coming down the pipe that, that you would see as interesting or as bringing us uh, a little bit farther along in this uh, re uh, augmented reality side of stuff. And then also uh, your thoughts on, on kind of moving forward these technologies in, in a, a good and ethical way. I know you've done a lot of thinking on privacy and whatnot. Are there any other uh, technologies that people who are listening in or reading this via article um, might be interested in checking out? I know you mentioned Oculus Rift as some movers and shakers. Um, any other people you're keeping your eye on? Um, we've seen some um, some glasses, some augmented reality glasses from. Um, I'm actually blanking on the name of this for a second. Let me look at the name. Okay, cool. Um, Google is not the only player in the augmented reality space, of course. So there are some other manufacturers getting into it as well. Google is definitely the one pushing things forward the most. Um, Recon Instruments is another company. They've made um, ski goggles, basically, with GPS built in and a small display that are running Android. Uh, they have a headset coming out later this year called the Jet, which is basically like a, a sporty pair of sunglasses that, that you wear. It's got a small display in, in the lower right rather than the upper right of your eye. Uh, it runs Android. Uh, but the, the interesting thing here is that they're really focused on the sports markets, particularly pro athletes or those who kind of aspire or want to be as fast as pro athletes. Mm. Um, so it's got and plus connectivity so it can connect to, uh, let's say, a cadence meter on your bicycle or a cycling computer or things like that. Oh, okay. uh, it can tell your heart rate. Uh, it can tell you know the temperature and the altitude that you're at. So you could, if you were, say, training for the Tour de France, you could put this uh, set of glasses on, have it connect to your bicycle, go for a ride. It'll monitor your heart rate. It'll monitor the temperature. It'll monitor how fast you're going, how fast you're pedaling. Uh, and then when you get back, you'll have you know this great set of data that you can then compare to your last ride. Uh, wow. Same thing for running, same thing for skiing or for other sports as well. Um, so that's you know a very specific application um, yeah. versus class, which is trying to be you know, a much more broader consumer thing. But ultimately, I think that they could have success in that way because they're very focused on, on that market. Yeah, there's, there's a niche there for sure. And, and people who are in that market are very willing to spend hundreds of dollars to get a device that will help them be more efficient in their training. Uh, so you know, I think that they could have success in that regard. Uh, and I think that's pretty exciting. Yeah, that's cool stuff too. Awesome. Then Oculus Rift, are some some people to to check out too. I know that they're still growing and doing their thing. Um, yeah, and lastly, as as a final topic here, Tim, we had talked briefly on um, uh, kind of the the uh, issue of privacy. A lot of people have concerns there, but I think there's even further concerns with kind of the extension of these technologies moving forward, whether it be uh, photos or virtual reality or the allowance of these technologies being used in cars or cars driving themselves, etc. Obviously, there's there's a myriad of concerns, and you had mentioned, you know, uh, take us a good number of podcasts to be able to pull it off or even scave the surface there. As, as people who are out there sharing information, obviously, your blog doing that on a massive scale, um, that being a big part of our own purpose, how do you see us as, as sort of intellectual contributors or just people who are in this domain being a part of the, the, the transition of this, this technology forward in a positive way? Because I think that there are a lot of ways where, um, you know, emerging technology could, you know, there's, there's kind of dystopic views. I don't necessarily think that way, but I, I think that each person who's interacting, who's sharing information, ha has potentially a role to play in terms of how this stuff is rolling forward ethically in terms of kind of its, its aggregate good. Um, what do you think we can do as intellectual contributors or sharers of information to kind of promote or uh, gain ground in that conversation of, of uh, rolling these emerging technologies forward in a positive light? 
at this point, it's important for us to really look at both sides of the story. It's very easy to get excited about the potential of glass and all the sorts of things that you can do with it in the future, and indeed I am. Um, but again, you have to remember there are a lot of folks out there who don't care about it, who won't want to wear it, who never will want to wear it. Uh, and so when we're covering these devices, we have to keep those people in mind, too, because ultimately they're going to be big players in the future and the success of a device like Glass. If Glass doesn't meet their needs as well, even though they'll never buy it, uh, Glass will not be a success because they will call their local legislator and say, hey, I'm afraid of this thing. Yeah. You ban it. And if <laughs> enough of those people do that, uh, they will ban it, and that will be the end of Glass. Uh, and that is, you know, a scary future for, for me anyway, That the idea that somebody who is disinterested in a given technology could ultimately get it banned. Uh, so I think it's important for us to... to listen to those folks and to address their concerns and to make them as public as possible and really push these companies to address their concerns as well. It's the same thing on, I cover automotive technology quite a bit, and there's big developments going into self-driving cars, which is yes. something that people have been working on for, you know, 60 years now. But we're finally getting to a point where the technology exists that you could build a car today that will drive itself from New York to California safer than a human being could do so. The problem is there are people on the road who don't want to drive on that road with a self-driving car. Uh, and again, it's the same sort of thing. You know, if Audi were to make a self-driving car, they're not just having to appease the concerns of Audi buyers, having to appease the concerns of everybody else who is on the road. Mm. Uh, and that's a much, much stronger and much, much more difficult challenge. And that's exactly what Google needs to do. They need to not only address all the Google lovers and Google haters out there, but all the people who don't care what Google is, who don't even know what Google is, uh, they've got to be appeased as well. Awesome. And we have to help inform the whole world. Big time. Yeah, kind of continue the, the conversation being built out and shared forward, and hopefully that's what we did today a little bit, Tim. So I, I more than appreciate you taking the time, um, and I look forward to your future podcast. Those of you guys who want to check out Tim at Engadget, uh, fantastic podcast, super casual, laid-back stuff. They cover a bunch of awesome things. And Tim, again, thank you very much for your time today, brother. I appreciate it. Yeah, certainly. Thank you for having me. Cool. Hey, thanks for tuning in, guys. If you're an entrepreneur or a future thinker, uh, with an interest in businesses, transitions, or technologies that have the potential to alter human potential, then make sure you check out techemergence.com. It's our main blog site where you can see all of our other interviews with uh, top startup leaders, uh, entrepreneurship experts, and folks in the domain of technology, cutting-edge emerging technology. Uh, if you have a particular interest in how technology can affect the future of human consciousness and our conscious experience, and be sure to also check out sentientpotential.com. There we explore a lot of the ethical considerations and really serious moral matters of emerging technologies, in addition to interviews with great philosophers and technology experts of our day. Uh, more than anything else, always feel free to reach out if you can find us via email. Um, you can reach out to us there or whatever other way. Find us on the blog. Be sure to drop comments. We believe that the serious uh, conversation about the future is not only open-minded, but also interdisciplinary and multifaceted. So we'd like nothing more than to be able to glean your ideas as well. Um, so with that being said, with the best of intentions for a brilliant future, this is Dan Fagella signing off. And we'll see you next week.